Welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Myers, and today we are interviewing Dr. Terry Walls. I'm really excited about this interview. Dr. Terry Walls has healed herself of multiple sclerosis. She was once a marathon runner and a mountain climber, and she was diagnosed with MS and was soon confined to a wheelchair. Dr. Walls had already relied on drugs and surgery to treat her patients, but found that as a patient herself, conventional medicine was failing her. So determined to find a cure, Dr. Walls switched from a vegetarian to a paleo diet and began various therapies to reverse her symptoms to the point where she was able to walk without a cane and even bike 18 miles in one day. And her new book, The Walls Protocol, How I Beat Progressive MS Using Paleo Principles and Functional Medicine, details her extraordinary findings in her recovery and provides a step-by-step guide to regain control of your health while living with autoimmune disease. Please keep in mind that this program is not intended to diagnose or heal any disease or health condition, and this podcast is solely informational in nature, so please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any diet or regime that we mention on the show today. And Dr. Walls is a, a physician at, uh, and a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine in Iowa City. And she is the only doctor who is testing the paleo diet in a clinical setting to heal disease, namely autoimmune and MS. Uh, Dr. Walls' book, The Walls Protocol, um, is details about how to address the underlying cause of disease by employing a nutrient-dense paleo diet, a supplement plan to feed the mitochondria and increase the body's energy. She is also using exercise, detox, and other therapies to heal the body of disease. What I love most about this book is how it puts the care in the hands of the patient and disease firmly under, under their control and empowers them to get their life back. So Dr. Walls, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, I'm thrilled to be here. So why don't you tell the listeners your story? You have a very compelling sure. story. So uh, I'm a clinical professor of medicine. I think alternative medicine is a bunch of hooey and I'm very into drugs, the latest uh, findings in the New England Journal of Medicine. In 2000, I'm diagnosed with MS. Uh, I decided to treat my disease aggressively, so I go to the best MS center I could find, the Cleveland Clinic, uh, and within three years, my disease has progressed to secondary progressive MS, and in that phase, uh, there's no more remissions or improvement, steady decline, um, and uh, they tell me functions once lost, gone forever, yeah. I uh, get the wheelchair that was recommended. I took my in a form of chemotherapy. I took Tizabri, a very potent immune-suppressing drug, about $42,000 a year, and continued to decline. Uh, that's when I started reading the science uh, and uh, began my self-experimentation because it was clear I was headed towards a bedridden, demented life. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, the Walls Protocol details that journey how I discovered uh, paleo medicine, uh, how I discovered functional medicine, how I had the insight to combine them uh, so that I had this long list of nutrients, not from synthetic sources, but I redesigned my diet using paleo principles to get them through food. And um, I added, uh, resumed my meditation, uh, did exercise, electrical stimulation of my muscles. So big lifestyle change. 
Within three months, I can walk uh, with a cane. Uh, within six months, I'm walking throughout the hospital, no cane. Wow. And at nine months, I'm able to do an 18-mile bike tour with my family. Wow. And, uh, you know, uh, my family and I were crying because we, we had ex- I had come to terms with I was going to be disabled forever. And I really had to, uh, you know, do that 18-mile bike ride before I understood I was breaking all the rules. Who knew what was going to happen? And um, it obviously changed how I view disease, how I uh, view health, changed my clinical practice, and it changed the focus of my clinical research. Yeah, so your book focuses on healing autoimmune disease like MS. Yes. And today it's estimated that 75 million people either have a diagnosis or they have the antibodies for autoimmune just at a subclinical level. But what exactly is an autoimmune disease and what is the, why is the prevalence of these diseases oh, increasing? Yeah. So our immune cells have the ability to, when they're going around inspecting all of our one trillion cells that we have, they can decide, okay, that belongs to me, uh, it doesn't belong to me, and uh, I need to attack it. Uh, And what has happened is that for reasons that people don't quite know, some prior infection altered our structures in some way that the immune cells, when they approach it, now see it as an infecting organism and begin attacking it. So with MS, uh, they're attacking my brain and spinal cord. With rheumatoid arthritis, they're attacking joints. With lupus, they're attacking uh, the cells themselves. Um, Why are we having more? Uh, I think uh, we have several clues. One is the dramatic intake of sugar. In 1700, we had 10 pounds a year. In 2000, we have 100 pounds a year. Uh, That's really increased the leaky gut. Uh, where the gut lets incompletely digested food into the bloodstream, triggering an immune response. Uh, Dr. Fasano uh, wrote a great paper outlining that the leaky gut is the first step in developing uh, autoimmunity. Another thing that really revs up the autoimmune problem are lead, mercury, arsenic, plastics, heavy metals. And, of course, uh, we're in an increasingly toxic environment uh, the diet quality has declined, so people's ability to process eliminate those toxins have also declined, further increasing autoimmunity. Yeah, for MS, I believe the uh, insert rate's up 400% in 15 years, and we now have children as young as six with MS. Yeah. And this was a disease that was not described before 1836, uh, I believe. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, I've read that it's one of the fastest growing subsets of diseases in the world. Uh, yes, it's diet and lifestyle related. The, uh, the, we have thousands of papers that show us the genes account for maybe 5%. If you happen to have two parents with MS, it may get up to 30%. Always, it's the diet and lifestyle that accounts for 70 to uh, 97% of your wow. risk for MS. Yeah, and doctors aren't telling their patients this. They're just telling them, oh, there's nothing you can do <laughs> except take drugs, and you just yeah. have to live with it. And too many of our docs uh, don't don't realize that epigenetics are the big driver, and that epigenetics are diet and lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. So, how did you come up with your protocol? Uh, protocol, and how quickly did you use the various therapies in your protocol? How quickly did you recover? So, so here's the sequence: diagnosed in 2000, 2002. My uh, Cleveland Clinic neurology doctor told me about Lauren Cardane. I got the book. Uh, gave up being a vegetarian. Yeah. Began paleo. Still declined. 2003, hit the wheelchair. 2004, I start reading the mouse and rat studies. 
and started adding vitamins and supplements. I slowed down the steepness of my decline, so it's a little flatter. Very, very grateful, but still declining. 2007, I discovered electrical stimulation of my muscles. I convinced my physical therapist to do that when I exercise so I get more oomph from the exercise. And then at the same time that I'm discovering eSTEM, I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine, and I take their course, uh, a functional medicine approach for common and uncommon neurologic syndrome. Deep in my understanding, I have a longer list now of about 20 vitamins and supplements I'm taking. I add those. And with the e-stem, what I see is maybe just a hint of improvement. Yeah. And then I have this brilliant awareness, like, I should get these all the stuff in the food that I'm eating. Uh, so I go talk to my registered dietitian friends. They like, we, we don't know where it is. I go to the health science library. Uh, they can't find the text. But the University of Google. <laughs> so you know, more research. It takes me a month. I have my new food plan stressing these nutrients. Yeah. Um, and so a month, just a month. So I, I do this in December. By the end of January, my mind is so much more clear. Mm. My energy's improved. I have to stop my provigil because I can't sleep at night because I'm no longer fatigued. Yeah. Then the next month in February, I start walking with a cane. And people are like, oh, Dr. Walls, like, oh, my God, you're, you're walking. Um, then um, in six months, I'm walking without a cane. Yeah. And at nine months, yeah, I'm on the bike. So th- this whole thing went from 2002 to 2007. But I've continued to learn. We've modified the protocol. And I discussed that in my book. How I've changed things from what I did back in 2007, 2008. Do you feel like your vegetarian diet contributed to MS? So, um, you know, I was a tender-hearted farm kid, named all of my animals, even the ones we were going to eat. Uh, so I was very happy uh, in high school to be a rebellious teen yeah. on the farm and say, no meat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had no idea that B12 was going to be a problem. Even though I went through medical school, somehow... You know, as a vegetarian then, I, I don't know how I missed uh, being told that I need to pay more attention to the B12, yeah. be more careful about uh, the protein consumption. I was probably had uh, too many carbs. I had a, a lot of antibiotics as a kid. I'm sure I had a yeast overgrowth. All those carbs uh, were a problem. Inadequate B12, a problem. Probably not enough protein, a problem. And, and I am also know I wasn't tuned into the omega-3, omega-6 fats. Yeah. So that was a problem. So while it may be possible to do a vegetarian diet more safely, and I give people guidance on how to do that, I clearly had not. Yeah. And so for me, the way I chose to do my vegetarian diet was another part of why I became ill. How long were you vegetarian? Oh, from high school to, you know, about 2002. So uh, uh, 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, I was a vegetarian and I ate some uh, fish now and then uh, during that time period. Then would go back to uh, my vegetarian ways. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to say, uh, many of my clients, the the sickest ones are the ones that were long term vegans or vegetarians. It's, it's tough to do correctly. You have to really know what you're doing. It's, it's very hard to do correctly. I, I know too many people who quit eating meat, uh, like I did, without understanding the intricacies of how to uh, create a safe diet. Yeah. So I see vegetarians eating a lot of white flour, sugar, 
uh, no protein, no vegetables, they're clearly going to be in trouble. Yeah. I do see vegetarians and vegans who get the vegetable part right, do that really well, detox, feel great for two years, and then when they run out of their B12 and their minerals, then they start deteriorating, and they can't figure out why. Because you run, you run out of B12 in three to five years, correct? And you can get permanent neurological damage. That, that. That's when bad things are happening to your brain. There's a lot of neurobehavioral problems. And people, because they felt so good initially with their vegetarian diet, vegan diet, they have a really very hard time grasping that their diet may be contributing to their problem now. Yeah, yeah. And so can you briefly explain the Walls diet that uses paleo sure. principles? So um, uh, what I've done is uh, use the paleo principles so there's no gluten-containing grain. If you have gluten-free grains, it's only one serving a day. Uh, no dairy. I also take out uh, eggs because of the high risk for food sensitivities there. Yeah. Then we structure it. So you have nine cups of vegetables. And this is for a man or a tall woman. I'm six foot tall. Mm -hmm. Short women, petite people will need proportionately less. Yeah. So it's three cups of green leaves cooked or raw, three cups of sulfur-rich family vegetables. So that's cabbage family, onion family, mushroom family. And we use those because of the impact they have on inducing enzymes in the brain, in the liver and kidneys. And then three cups of deeply colored pigmented stuff, beets, carrots, berries, uh, protein to appetite within the range. Uh, we're looking for about six ounces to 12 ounces, according to size and gender. Um, and I'd like to have uh, some omega-3 fats in there as well, either uh, two tablespoons of vegetarian sources or fish oil, depending on uh, what the person is doing. Mm -hmm. And then as you advance along, uh, I move people. So at the, at the entry-level diet, I speak to the vegetarians and say, you can do this as a vegetarian or vegan. These are the principles and the concepts uh, to improve your nutrient density, uh, reduce your food sensitivity issues, reduce the phytates and lectins. So I give them some directions for them. And then the next level is the Walls Paleo. We talk about organ meats. Um, we talk about seaweed. Uh, we talk about sprouting uh, nuts and seeds. And then the next level, we further reduce the carbohydrate intake and uh, now we're going to add more fats, particularly medium-chain triglycerides, and I'm putting people into ketosis. Yes. Yeah, and how is that important for people with neurological issues? So um, for millennia, humans were in ketosis every winter, every war, every famine. And it turns out our brain runs just fine on ketones, and so do our muscles, uh, so that we can be very adapted to being a uh, fat-running machine. Um, and we've known since the early 1900s that putting people in ketosis reduces seizures and improves uh, brain performance. Now we have a bunch of studies going on looking at a variety of psychiatric and neurologic diseases using ketosis to reduce inflammation, improve healing. Uh, and here at the University of Iowa, we have a bunch of studies uh, using ketosis to treat cancer. Uh, what, what I did that's unique in my ketogenic diet is we, we put people in ketosis, then we also measured to be sure that we were still having enough of the carbohydrates to get the 31 nutrients that science says are really important for the brain. Because many of the ketogenic diets, short-term get people in ketosis, do a great job, but they'll be like the uh, vegans and vegetarians. If you aren't fully nutrient replete, at three to five years, you're going to be running out of stuff. Yeah. Then your health will be declining, 
you'll be going back, well, I felt great when I was in ketosis. I'm sure it's not my diet without realizing, again, a ketogenic diet is like a vegetarian vegan diet. It's very hard to do correctly. You have to really pay attention to make sure you're getting all your vitamins and also essential fats. Uh, and the medium chain triglycerides help in the structure that we provide help people do that much more safely. Okay. Yeah, I had one question about the diet uh, because many, uh, many other people are talking about how if uh, you should be avoiding nightshades if you have autoimmune. Oh, so, yeah. so why is it exactly that you don't that you recommend that people can eat tomatoes and red yep. bell peppers? Great question. Thank you so much for asking. So uh, the first thing I did was focus on nutrient density to get those 31 nutrients in. Then I took the top three for food sensitivities, gluten, dairy, and eggs. And uh, have people do that at level one. Then in the book, uh, we talk about, okay, if you're not doing well, you can move on to uh, the Paleo Plus uh, or the Paleo and Paleo Plus diets. But then I also list, here are the other food sensitivity problems. Tomatoes, uh, peppers, eggplants, uh, potatoes, soy. And then acknowledge that for many, we need food sensitivity testing, uh, such as an LCAT or mediated release test or the antibody test to personalize this because uh, while nightshades might be a problem, broccoli or shrimp or strawberries might be a problem. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, I think personalization is really the best. Uh, when I, when I wrote, wrote the book, I worked with my, um, in our study, uh, we worked with our registered dietitians. Uh, it's very important to be as least restrictive as possible and then have a plan to stepwise add more restrictions to your diet or more steady to understand what restrictions are necessary. I, I, I take issue with those who interpret the paleo message to have a long list of things you can't eat uh, and that leaves people at risk for micronutrient deficiencies. Yeah. I think they'd be much better served by having a food sensitivity assessment, either with an elimination diet that's done formally, uh, food allergy testing through blood work, stool work, uh, or uh, the ALCAT mediation release test. So it can be very specifically personalized. Yeah, I agree. I, there's no reason to exclude foods if you don't have an issue with them, if you don't have personally. So you don't feel that these nightshades, the tomatoes and peppers can contribute to autoimmune? Well, they may. They may. But so, so may broccoli, so may shrimp. Okay. So the whole, any of the food that we eat could. I prefer a stepwise introduction, okay. maximize nutrient density, take out the worst offenders, heal the leaky gut, see how far you get. Okay, yeah. Then you may need to uh, think about taking out nightshades. Okay. What I'm impressed with in my clinical practice, twice people have had to, have told me, uh, they, they do better without nightshades. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm seeing superb results with healing the leaky gut uh, yeah, and just doing the gluten, dairy, and eggs. Yeah. Yes. But they have to be individualized. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so clearly, you encourage getting the majority of your vitamins and minerals and other nutrients from food. So why is it necessary to supplement today, and what supplements do you recommend on your protocol? So uh, if we look at the mineral content of the soil, uh, apparently we've had about an 85% decline over the last 100 years, according to USDA reports, uh, probably because of lack of crop rotation and the use of chelating uh, 
fertilizers uh, and herbicides uh, like Roundup. Uh, and if you measure the vitamin mineral content of an apple, I think it was chicken and uh, beef, they uh, document again from 1919 to 1992 a 20 to 100% decline in either the vitamin or mineral content. So the nutrient density of our food, even if we're eating all those vegetables, is less than what our parents, our grandparents, and our great-grandparents ate. Yeah. Now, the, the, um, the foods that haven't been as uh, diluted are the things that aren't sweet. So your greens are still nutrient-dense, your spices are still nutrient-dense, your sulfur-containing vegetables are still nutrient-dense, your colors will be a little less nutrient-dense uh, than they used to be. Uh, so that's part of why uh, when we've designed our diet, I've done the analysis, we still have incredible nutrient density in our food. Having said that, uh, certainly uh, we can identify people with autoimmune diseases, mental health problems, heart disease, are more likely to have enzymes that are less efficient at metabolizing B vitamins, uh, less efficient at how we handle sulfur. So for that reason, a B complex may be, and I suggest this in my practice, if you got a family history of bad heart, bad brain, a B vitamin's are, are probably your friend. Yeah. And uh, you likely have problems removing toxins. Therefore, the nine cups will be your friend, and maybe some sulfur amino acids to give a little bit more support as well. Uh, then we'll talk about uh, vitamin D. Very, very important to know what your level is and get it. Uh, my perfect level is between 80 and 100, but you could live with between 50 and 100. Um, but to get there, you really need to follow blood levels to know that you're getting there. Uh, and then I, I like to have a sense of the essential fatty acid ratios uh, in terms of omega-3, omega-6, you could get that through a cell membrane analysis and then really know. Uh, and I talk about some other primary care ways of assessing that. What do you think about TMG or trimethylglycine to add some methyl groups to help people to detox? Um, I have not used that. Okay. So I, I, I can't comment to any uh, personal experience. Okay. I, I think certainly the B vitamins, methyl B12, ethylfolate, very, very important. And for some, uh, that may be very helpful. Okay. Well, you know, just like you, I'm a huge proponent of detoxing heavy metals, and I see them as a major underlying cause of disease today. I personally use hair mineral analysis to test for metals, um, but of course, people have to do a, a detox program long term to see all the metals coming out. It doesn't show on the first test. So how do you test for heavy metals and detox yourself and your patients? So, uh, so interesting. So I'm two years into my recovery, and then I think, you know, I, I wonder... I, I know I must have been toxic, so I do a 24-hour heavy metal, and it comes back diffusely positive. I'm like radioactive. I've got thorium, thallium, uranium, um, and I think there were just four metals that uh, were not in the uh, toxic range. So this is two years into my recovery. I'm walking around, biking, feeling immensely better. I uh, make a few adjustments on my protocol, uh, uh, up the seaweed and algae, by the way, uh, and Four, and so two more years later, so now we're four years into my recovery, I repeat and everything's out. So, uh, so that's my personal healing story. In our clinical trial, we're doing 24-hour heavy metals in the beginning uh, and again at 12 months. And uh, what I saw, I, I expected people to decline, and what we're seeing is they're actually increasing. Um, 
And the reason I think that happens is when you're heavy metal poisoned, you can't get the metals out very effectively. Yeah. Um, and so you have to resuscitate the person before the metals will begin to spill. Yes. Yeah. So we resuscitated them, got the enzymes working better, uh, fed them appropriately. And now at 12 months, uh, they have uh, diffusely more stuff in the urine. And then we do a very careful history. What are your exposures? Could we have gotten some more uh, into you on what is late? <clears throat> and then most importantly, how do you feel? How's the energy, quality of life? And our conclusion is the change is probably a reflection of resuscitation of the enzymes, not an introduction of more uh, toxin into them. Yeah. Yeah. I find that with my clients as well. Once we get them on a, the right diet, tons of vegetables, good supplements, minerals, then the body releases them after three to six months or so, but it doesn't start releasing them before that. Typically, you, like you said, you got to resuscitate them. I love that word. <laughs> you got to resuscitate all those enzymes so uh, they'll work. Yeah. Absolutely. So do you use infrared saunas uh, to help detox your patients? So MS folks are uh, uh, heat. Uh, really makes the MS symptoms uh, much worse. So in my clinical trial, no. I mean, my personal practice is interesting. Uh, nine months into my recovery, I could tolerate heat and got a sauna and started adding uh, regular saunas to my regimen. In my clinical practice, uh, we do talk about uh, sauna as a uh, and sweating as a adjunct to detox. And I talk about clay and zeolite as well. Okay. So do you find that even if the MS patients are sensitive to that um, and it increases their symptoms, do you find that might be a necessary like healing reaction, so to speak, to get them detoxed so that they can recover quicker? Or do you prefer to wait until they can handle it better? I don't, I don't put them in heat until they feel uh, uh, like they've recovered. Okay. And then I have them do a test session just to see how well they will tolerate it. Uh, and some people haven't, like me, recovered their heat tolerance and have added saunas and are doing extremely well. Those who are not, uh, then I stay with the clay, zeolite, uh, and uh, gentler forms of detox. Okay. Well, why don't you tell, well, I want to talk a little bit about your clinical trials. Um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about some of the research that you're currently conducting oh, and what, what prompted you to do them? So uh, one case, recover, people say like, so what? Um, and we had seen clinically people were doing extraordinarily well. Uh, my dean of the medical school helped me assemble a, a, a team to design a clinical trial. Uh, to everyone's surprise, including mine, I was quite successful at getting funding from a private foundation in Canada. So we, we were answering the question, could people do it, this complicated regimen? Uh, was it safe for them? And, and if they did, what happened? Uh, and this was such a radical new way of treating MS. Our institutional review board that does the oversight said, you know what, do 10, give us a safety report, and then we'll decide if we can let you do the rest of your study. So we did that, and of course our safety report uh, was very good, and we got to uh, enroll the rest of the folks. We've now published the first 10, and we show that, yep, people can do this. Uh, the biggest uh, problem is that if you're overweight, you lose weight without being hungry. Yeah. That's the biggest side effect. Mm -hmm. uh, and fatigue. Fatigue is extraordinarily difficult to treat for MS. It's the number one reason why people uh, become disabled. Uh, and the uh, fatigue severity scale goes from seven total fatigue to one no fatigue. Uh, 
the FDA has approved a drug, ProVigil, on the basis of a 0.5 improvement, which clinically is not much. I took ProVigil for many years. It doesn't do much, but you're so grateful to have even that tiny amount. Yeah. Uh, so people are, are happy to take it. In our trial, people started at 5.7, so really quite fatigued, came down to 3.9. There is no other paper that has reported that level of improvement. Um, and we, we see if, if you, and it, the other thing that we observed is after people, if they stopped the protocol, their fatigue shot back up just as high as it was before. Yeah. So uh, we're making it very clear now in that second group that's coming through that from our perspective, this is a new way of living. This is not a diet. It's not a lifestyle. This is a new way of living if you want your cells to be healthy, vibrant, and to be getting your life back. Yeah, I mean, your protocol sounds very similar to the principles that I've studied for years to figure out uh, what works and what doesn't and what should I adopt. And it's definitely something I think that anyone uh, should, can adopt to heal their body of any imaginable yeah. symptom. Uh, to they need to right diet, right supplements, detox, etc. So your diet, your your book is very focused on autoimmune, but can this heal other diseases and symptoms as well? Oh, that's a great question. So I have thousands of followers. Hundreds of people reached out to say, you know, I'm using the, the Walls protocol and it's helped this. So uh, Parkinson's, uh, early cognitive decline. Uh, fibromyalgia, mm -hmm. uh, depression, and a variety of psychiatric problems. And then, of course, the obvious obesity, diabetes, other autoimmune conditions, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, asthma, psoriasis, eczema, and, and then a whole bunch of autoimmune diseases that I'd never heard of before, I might add. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay, I guess this is autoimmune now. There's right. a lot of them. There's a lot of them. You know, and every year we're adding uh, you know, uh, tons and tons. I expect that ultimately we'll realize that all of our chronic disease is, at least in some capacities, autoimmune. For example, heart disease is now being studied as an autoimmune condition. Yeah, it's what to say that they now think that atherosclerosis is autoimmune. Is autoimmune. High blood pressure is really an autoimmune condition. So is schizophrenia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think in another 20 years we'll realize that uh, all of our chronic lifestyle diseases. I uh, have an autoimmune component. Yes, yes. Yeah, so uh, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and where they can find you? Sure. So uh, please go to my website, Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S dot com. Uh, we have a lot of materials that you can download uh, that were mentioned in the book. Uh, and if you have MS and you uh, have fatigue and you want to uh, hear more about our clinical trials, because we are still recruiting, uh, call my secretary at 319 Three five six four four two one, Arlene. So that's three one nine three five six four four two one. So, what if someone wants to see you privately? Do you have a private practice where clients can see you? Uh, sadly, no. Uh, all of my clinical time is at the Veterans Hospital, mm -hmm. and that's where I see traumatic brain injury and uh, a therapeutic lifestyle clinic with very complex uh, chronic medical issues, many autoimmune problems. Mm -hmm. uh, I do not have a private practice, unfortunately. Okay. And so everyone, thank you, Dr. Walls. Thank you so much for coming on the show. That was so informative. And I was just very honored that you came on my podcast. And just thank you so much. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here.
And everyone, if you want to learn about detoxification, the modern paleo diet, or healing your health conditions naturally, you can go to my site, liveto110.com. And definitely go check out Dr. Terry Wall's website. Her book is amazing. I read it cover to cover uh, before we did the podcast. I started to read it just to do the questions, and I just I just ate it up. It's an, an incredibly informative book, and there's a lot of details about the diet that I think are really good nuances to make and something that you should definitely be adding to your plan to live to 110. So everyone, thank you so much for listening, and thank you, Dr. Terry Walls. Thank you.